Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church, and the Bible reading is on page four of the worship guide. Also, it's printed behind me, Um, so let's read together. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of pres- the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship and to hear from your word. God, I pray that you would bless Pastor Joel, that you would speak through him, um, that you would encourage us through your word, that you would build us up. Um, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us and that you would draw us closer to you um, so that way we may love you better, love one another better, and be um, a better witness for our community. Um, Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. So, true story from the Mosaic staff meeting uh, a number of weeks ago. Uh, We were talking about, as a church, how we use social media uh, to reach out and engage not only the people who are attending Mosaic Silver Spring, but also people in our community. And so, right now, uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, we have an Instagram account, and we were talking through those things, and the statement was dropped, not by me, that only old people use Facebook. And this caught my attention. And I said, huh? Uh, Tell me more about that. And, uh, you know, they started to unpack. Yeah, you know, pretty much Facebook, that's basically people 40 and older. And and I'm going to just set aside whether people 40 and older deserve to be called old. I'm just going to set that entirely to the side. And uh, my immediate response was one of defensiveness. Like, can you show that? Is there data to support that? That, uh, you know, younger people aren't using Facebook. And, um, 
you know, we unpacked this more. And I said, well, well where are kind of the next uh, generation of people at? And they said, oh, Instagram, right? I said, okay, so where are the youngest generation of people at? And the answer was TikTok. And so I, thinking, you know, putting these pieces together, uh, I said, well, hey, we have a Facebook account and we have an Instagram account. Should Mosaic also start a TikTok account? And at this moment, their eyes got this big. Everyone else in the staff meeting, and they are all looking at me, and all together they echoed Nicole and said, no. <laughs> now, I'm also going to set aside why, no, uh, we can talk later after the service if you want, but in that moment, I felt a bit tired, <laughs> and I felt a bit old, and I felt a bit fatigued, like technologically fatigued. Uh, in that moment, I was like confronted with this reality. How am I supposed to keep up? Like, I, I want to connect with people. I desire to connect with people. And I'm being told now the avenues that I'm most comfortable with won't connect with all of the people, not only here at Mosaic, but in our broader community. How can I keep up with the newest apps and services? How can I keep up with what people are using and how they're engaging with one another? The reality of technological fatigue that I just can't keep up smacked me in the face. And I would imagine that that's not the only type of fatigue that you may be able to relate to this morning as you have shown up to Mosaic Silver Spring for worship. Maybe you have been smacked in the face over the last months and years of cultural fatigue, trying to keep up what is happening more broadly in the culture around us. And that can take all sorts of forms, whether it is uh, code switching because of the number of cultures you navigate and having to figure out how to communicate who you are to people who don't understand. Maybe it is trying to just follow what the trends are, feeling like you get bombarded from different angles and don't know quite what to make of it. Maybe it is trying to keep up with the right forms of language or how to express things in ways uh, that most effectively communicate with the people around you. And it is just wearying that cultural fatigue starts to set in and weigh on you. But it's not just technological fatigue or cultural fatigue that we may face. There's also a spiritual fatigue, a sense of having this desire of wanting to be good, but not knowing exactly how you can get there. Do I need to perform better? Do I need to pursue perfection? Do I need to meet the expectations of my family and friends? And if I don't, I just feel this gap and just trying to keep up and measure up consistently so that I can be good and show myself to be good, it just, the pressure pushes in, and you just get tired. Well, if any of these things relate to how you're feeling this morning, I have genuine good news. Jesus in the gospel of Matthew is showing up to fatigued people. God himself taking on humanity has arrived to meet you in your wearied state, to come alongside you and to give you rest. Rest. 
That is what it means to live as the beloved. And that is how Jesus meets you. Because the inevitable effect of these types of fatigues, technological fatigue, cultural fatigue, spiritual fatigue, is in the midst of all of those pressures, it drains us physically, it drains us emotionally, and it has a spiritual effect. And so we're left wondering, how do I navigate this reality? Do, do I have any choice? Do I just keep going? Do I find some new thing, start Googling? Google, how do I rest? Or, I mean, those are routes, right, that you could try to take. Or, this morning, I invite you to listen, to give ear to Jesus' invitation to you for true rest. We're going to look at that in two points this morning uh, in Matthew chapter 12. Systems for rest and savior of the restless. So there is some important context. I appreciate Keller reading uh, the scripture passage this morning. And I'd like to just fill out a little bit of context so that you can understand as we go back through chapter 12, just what are the tension points going on here? Like, like what's the deal with this thing, Sabbath? So the Sabbath in the first century starts on Friday evening and runs to Saturday evening. And it is a significant part of the law. For anyone who was a part of the people of God and who sought to follow God, the Ten Commandments were a part of how you would understand what it looked like to live day in and day out. And the Fourth Commandment deals with the Sabbath day. In the book of Exodus, in the giving of the law to the people who are... Uh, coming out of slavery in Egypt and on their way to the promised land, and they're trying to think, okay, what does it look like for us to live in ways that worship and honor God? God says this, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall work and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so God, for his people, sets up this idea that in a given week, six of those days, you can do all the work that you need to accomplish. But on the seventh day, you stop working to rest. You stop working to set aside a day that's devoted to the Lord. That was called Sabbath. And it was an important part of the rhythm of living as the people of God. And I want to make note, because we oftentimes think about it in individualistic terms, but this was for the whole community. So it was an individual and corporate command. And even in the Ten Commandments, when Moses is unpacking it for the people, it involves not only individual rest from work, but a corporate rest. So that if you are part of a household, you would encourage that whole household to rest. And so as we roll into the first century, as the people of God had gone into the promised land and out of the promised land, as they had good times and bad times, as they felt their own pressures and were working to live through the fatigue that they were feeling in that moment, this idea of rest and worship. This idea of setting aside a day of the Lord continues to be important. And so that drops us into verse 1 and verse 2. 
Because at that time, and in that context with what the Sabbath is, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples were hungry. And so they began to pluck the heads of grain and eat them. But when the Pharisees, that is, a group of people who cared very deeply about what the law said and what it meant to be faithful and to follow the law, they, with their sharp eyes, in verse 2, saw it and said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so there was a difference in understanding between the Pharisees on one hand and Jesus and his disciples on the other of what it meant uh, to live out the Sabbath day. What did it mean to rest? For Jesus, he had a mission that he was carrying forward as a king announcing a new kingdom. And so as he goes about uh, honoring God on the Sabbath, the Pharisees think he, and particularly here his disciples, are running afoul of what God had commanded. And so Jesus and the Pharisees take a look at how do we understand systems of rest on the Sabbath. And Jesus gives them a few examples to frame up how Jesus views what the Sabbath is for, why we would rest In verses 3 and 4, he gives an Old Testament story about King David, or the anointed king who wasn't fully king yet, David, together with his men, and how they treated the Sabbath. And then in verse 5, he gives an example of the priests on the Sabbath. And then in verse 7, he gives the words of the prophets, if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. What Jesus is saying is that oftentimes in our pursuit of rest, we can uh, miss just what God has called us to do. The Pharisees uh, were trying to call out that Jesus and his disciples were failing to live up to God's command to rest and to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, devoted to the Lord. And Jesus disagrees and uses an example from a prophet, priest, and king to show that the Sabbath is more than just mere rules that have to be followed. That's not how you devote a day of rest to the Lord. It's not just merely about rule following. Jesus tells them it's about people. It's about the people of God and what they're doing. And if I can fast forward to our current day, I think that gets at the question of why it would be important for you this morning to show up and participate in church. Now, maybe you asked yourself on the way to church this morning, why is it important or why does it matter that we would come to church? Kids, maybe you've asked your parents this question once or twice in your lives. Maybe not. Adults, maybe you've asked yourself this question once or twice in your life. Uh, I'm guessing you have. Jesus' answer to you this morning is that in the face of the fatigue that we all face, the technological fatigue, the cultural fatigue, the spiritual fatigue, the way in which God has given us to deal with that in the day in and day out is to take a day of rest and devote it to the Lord. 
And for Jesus, that, uh, he, he kind of keeps us from running a couple of different directions. And so one direction is that you think, uh, you know, all days are equal and it doesn't really matter. And so you interpret rest as whatever I want to do uh, uh, to feel like uh, I'm taking it easy. Jesus there, I think, would say, no, 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 worship and people still matter. Maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. You're really fastidious. You get focused on uh, what are the rules that we need to follow to show that we're getting the appropriate type of rest. And to you, Jesus says, okay, be careful. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Don't miss that the Sabbath day is oriented toward God. Here is what Jesus is doing. The system for rest for Christians in the 21st century is one in which we set aside a day to come together with each other. So it's individual and corporate, and it is focused on the Lord. That is what it looks like across cultures and time for Christians to look for and find rest. If I could give you an illustration of what that looks like played out in our community, imagine if you were in the middle of a forest that was the size of Maryland, okay? So huge forest, and you get dropped in, and you don't know quite where you're at. You're lost, and you're dropped into the middle of the forest, and you're just trying to get home. And you have food and water, right? You have the supplies that you need to live, but then you have this question of what direction do I go? And God gives you a GPS device that tells you exactly which direction to head in order to go home. And so think about rest or showing up to church, why it's important. It is a God-given spiritual time to stop all the busyness of walking and beating brush and readjusting our gear to pause and look down at and look up at the God-given orientation device to help us know which direction we're headed. That's why worship for the Christian life is so important, because we can get so pressured with our to-do list and the things that have to happen and the ways in which we keep up. We can try to race ourselves to outbeat the fatigue that we can lose sight of which direction we're traveling. The Lord's Day is a type of rest for God's people when we gather together. It's a part of the journey where we can connect with other travelers, where we can sing together of just what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. We can pray for the journey ahead out of the forest that's going to be fraught with obstacles and difficulties, sometimes painful moments, and we can prepare for that together. We can pause and gather together and share a meal to nourish us for the journey ahead. That is how the Lord's Day, Sunday for us, functions in our lives. And it doesn't always feel that way. I recognize that. Sometimes when you've had a late Saturday night, it can be hard to wake up Sunday morning. But the reason why it's important is because you have a lifelong journey out of the forest, and God has given you a directional way to help ensure that all of your energy in the week ahead is uh, harnessed and headed the right way. And worship is a part of that. It's how you know 
And, and so to not worship, to say, oh, I don't need that, is to continue to walk or maybe even run with no sense of what direction you're headed. Now, friends, that may make it feel like you're doing something, but I'm not sure it gets you out of the forest. And what's happening in this text is the Pharisees are coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're not holding the, the, the directional device the right way. Jesus, uh, Jesus we, we had a small course on how to use a GPS. Let us show you and your disciples how to use this. And Jesus is looking at him going, I created the device. What are y'all talking about? I know this forest. I know the way out. I've walked it. I'm the one who put the coordinates in here. What are y'all talking about? I'm not holding it the right way. That's what's happening in Matthew 12. And while that may seem silly to tell Jesus how to hold the device, the challenge for us this morning is to the extent that you never rest because of all the things that you think you need to accomplish, you're telling Jesus how to hold the device. And so Jesus is inviting you to just pause for a second and not run faster, just any direction you need to go, not just get your gear together as quick as you can and head out, but to pause, to reflect, to take some time to just be quiet, to pray, to sing, to hear God's story, to listen to you or to listen to Jesus meet you in your most fatigued and down moment to arrive and show up and give you the words of comfort that I know where to head. I've been there already, and I'm glad to carry your stuff if you want to travel with me. That is the Christian invitation in worship. That is what we're getting together to remind one another of. That is what Jesus shows up and says, I am the Savior of the rest, restless. He goes into a synagogue to demonstrate his point. In verses 9 through 13, this is this emphasis, right, on what he's come to do. It's not about how to hold the device just exactly how you observe. It's about getting sick people out of the forest. It's about leading people the right direction in their orientation of how they worship and know God. And so they try to trap him with a question about healing, and he heals somebody. It's about the people, just not about the rules. This makes the Pharisees, the people who thought they knew how to hold the device better than Jesus, angry. And in verse 14, we're told, they went out, so they left the synagogue, and began to figure out just how to destroy him. They continued to make their plans through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. They continued to try to figure out how to trip Jesus up, how to reject his claim that he knew the way out of the forest, to try to uh, take the people of God in the direction that they thought was right, eventually leading to collusion with the Roman authorities, and eventually resulting in Jesus' crucifixion. But that is not the last word of the story. Because on the third day, Jesus rose again. And in his resurrection, it becomes this uh, shaping, directional guide for us as a church. 
Through Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is showing us God's power that the direction we're headed is the right one. It becomes the encouragement to us in the midst of all of the pressures that we feel that we can trust Jesus' invitation in following him. Because not only did he go to the cross for us, he was raised from the dead. So that now... When we worship, we can sing of the lion and the lamb. We can orient ourselves and hear about the new heavens and the new earth, the direction that God leads us. We can pray and ask God to give us strength in the way in which we're walking. Jesus meets us in the midst of our technological fatigue when we feel like we are struggling just to keep up with a changing world that is changing faster than we can adapt. Jesus meets us there and says, I know the way forward. Come with me. Jesus meets us in the midst of our cultural fatigue where we find ourselves facing all sorts of pressures. And Jesus says, I have adopted you into my family. You have the freedom to live as the beloved. You now belong to Christ. So regardless of whatever culture or cultural pressures you engage, Jesus says, you are mine. You are part of the people of God. And then certainly in our spiritual fatigue. So if you're here this morning and you have shown up, not because you're a Christian looking for a place to worship, but because you're a human being trying to figure out how to navigate such a difficult world, I want you to hear afresh Jesus' invitation to you in the midst of your spiritual fatigue, which is through his death and resurrection, he offers you hope and peace and joy, not just today, but forever. Jesus says through his cross and resurrection that his burden is light and he offers it to you for free. That's a part of what God's gracious work on behalf of the beloved accomplishes. That's what Jesus is the savior of the restless means. It is that we don't have to run faster into the forest in some varying direction, but that Jesus meets us right where we're at as a community and says, I will walk with you today, tomorrow, and forever. Now that is an invitation That is a reminder that we have in worship, that we show up Sunday over Sunday to hear because we get so distracted in our weekly pressures that we can forget what God has graciously accomplished for you, beloved, in his death and resurrection. And we can forget that we follow and participate in God's work with someone who knows the way. That's his invitation to us this morning. So that as we sing, as we hear from his word, as we pray, and here just shortly as we commune at his table with Jesus himself, he meets us in the midst of our weariness and says, I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. I love you. And I know the way. Just from a human standpoint, you won't get to a point in your life where you just know that. To put it in a human sense, 
If you're married to someone or if you're in a family with someone or if you deeply love someone, you don't just tell them once and then say, well, they know because I told them. <laughs> in the ups and downs of life, in the ins and outs of life, uh, in the good times and in the bad times, you remind them of your love for them because that is how it works. But that's not just some human or 21st century or American uh, invention. That is a pattern that God himself has set for us and that time and time again in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our fatigue, he shows up and worship and says, I love you. And he reminds us of that reality. He meets us again and again in the ups and downs and in and outs and good times and bad to remind us that we can rest, not because we've met all of the achievements, not because we're perfect, not because we no longer have those pressures or fatigue, but we can rest because God loves us and we are the beloved. That's the Christian hope. Let me pray. God, I ask that we will hear that afresh this morning, that you love us and that you care for us, that part of why it's important to worship together is that we're so easily distracted or we can so quickly forget. And so this morning, I pray that uh, as we sing a song of response, as we celebrate at your table, that just as you've promised, you'll meet us here this morning and remind us freshly that we are the beloved and that we have rest in you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.